Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity, and I'm your host, Gary Turner. I'm also the founder of HexoChange, and HexoChange is a transformational change practice dedicated to helping you connect to yourself, to others, and to systems at large in a more meaningful way, thus helping us turn around our workplace and planetary challenges and accelerating how alive we all feel in every aspect of our lives. This track is called Kaleidoscope and was created for me personally and for HexoChange by Peter Griffiths, one half of the amazing Mind Takeaway. I hope you enjoy this exploration and please do share it on your social platforms so we can bring more humanity to more people. Hope to speak to you soon. Hi, and thank you very much for joining us today for a truly human conversation. I'm really grateful to be joined by two people this evening. One is Raphael David, who is a former special agent with the US Immigration Service, who earned respect on the street with the most hardened of criminals. Yet in the office, he was under siege. No one likes to admit that their color is the reason why. His personal code got him through the most absurd situations with dignity and respect. He's currently mentoring at-risk men and as a result, he's, a, he's available to consult for police departments needing to rethink their principles and interactions with the public. And in, in addition, I've got Donna Jones, who brings systemic and strategic insights to decision makers, working with perplexing and complex issues. She has worked and researched across sectors that kind, what kinds of contexts release human potential in its highest form. She specializes in seeing the systemic dynamics that support quantum jumps in ways of working and being of much higher benefit and of value to the world. She's the author of Decision Making for Dummies, podcaster since 2008, and she's also Future of Life and Work and Beyond author. So thank you both for joining me this evening. How are you? Thank you. Well. Excellent. Thank you. Amazing. Well, look, thanks for joining me today. For, for those that are joining us, we're going to follow um, just a very short structured introduction which will follow two rounds. One of those will be why are the guests and myself interested in being part of this truly human conversation? What's the entry point in terms of curiosity? The second round will be what are the desired outcomes and hopes from being part of this conversation? And then we'll go into an open flowing conversation around what do we want to see change? Because we can have a podcast conversation, we can talk about stuff, but of course, I think we'll all, if you're listening to us right now, realize that we're all part of the change and that we need to move to action. So as we get going, can I maybe start with yourself, Raphael? What were you interested, why were you interested to be part of this conversation tonight? What's your um, access point of curiosity today? Well, I've, I've had quite a bit of experience um, in law enforcement um, in various different levels. And what I bring to the table is, I think as long as we're having conversations about expertise, and lack of expertise. I would certainly like to be a part of that. In addition, um, if the conversation goes in the direction of training and recruiting, I could answer a, a lot of questions in that area. Fantastic. And Donna, from your side, what, what piqued your interest to be part of this conversation today? Well, you know, for me, it's, it's very much around uh, a shift that an overall shift where all of these things that have been hidden underneath the surface and undermining both people human potential undermining what goes on at work uh, is is just really worn out it's lost its uh its relevancy to the world and so i want to be a part of this because i think that we can do much better 
as a species, and I think this is the time to do it. That's great. And, and for me personally, why I'm so passionate about these conversations is I thought up until three weeks ago that we were making progress. And my goodness, I've had a wake-up call to realize that there's a far deeper level of progress that we all need to be part of. And that's really my, my, my aperture for curiosity to the conversation today. So the second round, uh, before we get into the free flow, um, Raphael, what would your desired outcome be from this conversation or your hopes for someone listening to us following this conversation? I would probably like for people to just take a moment and think, am I actively doing racist things or am I inactively uh, contributing to racist things? And I think if we can have that conversation, we can certainly make some inroads. Fantastic. Same question to yourself, Donna. You know, it's funny. I was listening to look at Paul Rosalie's uh, comment on Instagram the other day where he said, you know, it's really funny, but humans are the only ones that have an issue with color. You know, the, a black jaguar, <laughs> you know, and a spotted jaguar, when they meet one another, they, go, you know, they don't go, well, I don't want anything to do with you because you're this color, you've got spots. You know, it's just the human race that seems to have this, this issue. So, you know, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. So what I'd really like to see you know, I mean, I think what bothers me a lot is that I hear in business in particular, I hear, yes, we're very rational decision makers. Well, if that were the case, there'd be no need for diversity quotas, no need for quotas around women. No, none of that stuff would exist. And, and I think that's where I'd like to see this go. You know, let's, let's get real, get honest and get truthful, hardcore, not, not fluffy stuff, but get hardcore into what are we really doing? to insert bias into our decision-making and, and how can we collectively just design things better so that we remove it? Because these are human weaknesses. It's part of who we are. Let's not pretend it isn't. And it's not so much as part of human weakness. It's more, it's, it's more a matter of how we perceive things. So it, it is a distortion, if you will. And uh, I think we can clean up those distortions considerably. I love that. And, and, and for me, you know, my desire, if you're listening to us tonight, is to you know, there's a lot of work being done on DNI, diversity and inclusion. <clears throat> the evidence is out there, but not a lot is changing. So I'd like us to be curious. Like, why do we think, why do you think, listening to this conversation tonight, that despite the evidence, and bearing in mind the logic is the evidence part, despite overwhelming evidence that more diverse boards, more diverse communities add value, we're not actually getting there. So what's getting in the way, personally and collectively? That's my... Uh, that's what I'd really love you to at least be thinking about at the end of the conversation. So as we go into the free flow, either of you, please jump in. Like, what, uh, where would you like to start with this? How do, we want to, uh, how do you want to explore the next half an hour? Well, I'll start and then I'll toss it over to, to Raphael. But um, one of the things that, that, that I, you know, I mean, Gary, you and I've had this conversation about complexity before and just working with complex situations, perplexing situations. And if, if we could name one, just watch what's going on in the, around the world, around the whole racism revolution and the riots and everything else. But inherent in coping with complexity is the requirement for diversity, diversity of perspective, diversity of worldview at a global level. And, and it's sort of putting all the pixels, what I call putting all the pixels of the picture into the, into the environment. So, so, you know, in, in, we have to deal with this. We can't, we can't pretend that if we just kind of put some quotas in or some, some little superficial measure that that's going to change things. We have to be very 
honest and courageous, brave if that's what's needed. But 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 to me, it's just common sense. It's just recognize that 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 we need everybody's views together, as divergent as they are, so we can converge on something that makes sense and benefits everyone, including the life support systems we live on. You know that we require to to survive. Raphael. <laughs> well. Interesting enough, I, while you were talking, I was thinking about the speed limit and I was thinking about guardrails and I was thinking about enforcement. I try not to go in those directions, but I cannot help it. Some people obey the speed limit because they think the posted speed limit relates to safety. Others obey it because they don't want tickets and they don't want to pay fines. Other people look around to see if anybody's watching and then they make their own decisions. Um, America is forced with a situation right now, as you probably are aware of, that even when you have rules, if there's no way to enforce them, individuals will do what is expedient. Um, and I think without teeth, almost nothing matters when you put it in writing because there are other individuals that are not going to adhere. Such, such an interesting point. Sorry, Donna, I think you had something to add there. Sorry, I was, well, you know, I was laughing, Raphael, because he comes up with these wonderful stories. And, 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 and it, it's just these, these type, but what it, what it basically says is rules aren't going to help. This is correct, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, Raphael, but, you know, it, 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 I've seen this in my own work and my facilitation. You set up, you know, group rules and all that other stuff. And there's always going to be somebody that just ignores them and does it their way. And so, you know, I think what we're really talking to me, we're talking about um, embedding a, a much deeper ethos into the interactions that we have with each other that, that allows us to, to respect one another without checking to see, like the, the, the two jaguars, you know, without checking to see, you know, if you've got spots or what color you are before you have the conversation, but can just sort of look at and have the conversation for its pure merit. Uh, I think I think that it's a real deepening of the of the um, you know of the connection between each other in that sense. Is, is there something really interesting happening here? I'm interested in both your thoughts because I've had conversations the last couple of weeks, not just because of the, of, of the racial inflammation that we're experiencing and that hopefully is going to lead to change, but this sort of pandemic pause that some people are calling it. Yeah, so we're, we're all shelled up at home. We're not running around at 100 miles an hour. We're six, we're seeing and sensing at a slower speed, probably more than we ever have in a hundred years. And then you've had like whack, this like George Floyd being horrifically murdered. Like, like people can't unsee that, like, cause we've been going at such a pace that you can't go, oh, it's just another one. Or, you know, it's just another newsreel. What do you think about that, Raphael? Is, 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 do you feel there's a very real opportunity right now to actually really change because we are seeing and sensing more? Or do you challenge that? I, I, I think this is the same as um, the, the epicenter of the civil rights movement in this country. When uh, you have to sit around your dinner table with your children while having, of course, dinner, and have little Bobby and little Sally say, well, 
why are the dogs attacking the church lady? <laughs> why are they why are they being beaten while they're singing uh, hymns? Um, and America is in that position right now. It's in their face. It's on their phone. Uh, they can't get away from it. And what they've discovered is the world through the lens they saw it isn't reality for everyone. Um, and, and that's just hit them in the face. And the generation, or I should say the three generations behind me, are feeling the pain of ancestors they didn't know. And it hurts. They're bearing the weight that they thought their grandparents carried for them, and they don't like how heavy it feels, and they don't want to pass it on to their children. And they feel like they have an opportunity for the first time in modern history where half, I'm going to be generous and say half, it might even be more, um, but at least half of the people in the streets don't look like the people that are being abused. That's a first. That's a first. Um, so I think because of that, it is hitting the conscience. And watching a 75-year-old man get pushed down by echo males, I'm sorry, I, I have a tendency to, to, to rate men by their actions. Alpha, of course, being the superior male, uh, who's you know confident and self-assertive and compassionate and understanding and empathetic. And then there's Bravo, Charlie, and of course, Delta. And what I saw was echo men pretending to be Bravos. They couldn't aspire to Alpha, but they were pretending to be Bravos in pushing down a clearly 75-year-old man as a show of force. Yeah, that type of stuff is in your face, so you have to deal with it. And America is getting tired of dealing with it. How about you, Donna? What's on your mind? Well, you know, I, I love what you've just said because um, we would not have seen that before. But now we have people taking pictures. In fact, you know, there was an officer that came up to the person who shot the video of that incident and, you know, told them to shut it down, but not until after they had the video. <laughs> and, and they, because otherwise the police report basically said, you know, tripped and fell. And, and then you see the video and did not trip and fall. So transparency now is what's bringing these conversations over. You can't get away with what you used to get away with and, and think that's going to, to work. So it, 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 it does call for, and I mean, it's about time, but it calls for a higher level of responsibility and, and, and accountability to one another. I mean, we, we like to think of being accountable to the law and accountable to a number of things, but sometimes laws are unjust and sometimes justice is unjust. So it really boils down to, you know, how do we relate to one another and, and what's the highest standard we can hold ourselves to in, in, in doing that. So what's yours, Gary? It's, it's, it's really, I'm actually buzzing listening to both of you, to be honest. <laughs> I think it's, it, it's such, um, no, it really, it's, it is that consciousness shift. Like, and it's only a word that even, you know, consciousness, awareness, whichever one of those words you want to use. And I think it's funny, isn't it? We've had social media being a monster for the last decade, to be honest. Yeah. yeah? You know, mm -hmm. trolling, people chasing, you know, stuff being posted that you didn't want. And it's almost like we've flipped a switch with what's gone on the last fortnight. And suddenly social media is like our savior for the next few weeks anyway. 
but it's really become this. I don't know. I love your thoughts on this, Rafael. It's almost become. It's almost become the law. Like it's become the way to be feel protected more so than maybe actually the people that are meant to be there to protect you. Well, I, I, I I'm hesitant to say this, but we're here now. Um, all of my younger relatives are taught to have a one button push to get video and audio on their phone right away. Um, and it's just what we do. Uh, you'll see people riding around in major cities with dash mounted cameras with uh, their phone mounted to be voice activated to start videoing um, because they live in that type of fear. And, and, and another thing I might add about social media, if you watch the news um, on a regular basis, what you'll find is you're getting stories before the news media gets them. You, uh, most of the major stories I get on Twitter or I get on Facebook based on the people that I, I interact with long before I see them on MSNBC or CNN or maybe even Fox News if they slip up and have no other choice. Uh, but it, it's amazing. Um, and the local news can't keep up at all. Um, so it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. You know, I'm going to pick up on what you just said, uh, Rafael, because two, two things come to mind. One, as you said, on the streets, it's, it's black and white in solidarity in many instances. You've got, yes, you have, you have interveners. You have people that are coming in deliberately to manipulate these situations to their agenda. But you also have uh, a solidarity and a cohesion that we haven't seen before. And on the flip side of that, you know, when it came to the looting footage that was coming out, you, you'd see, the, you, you know, what people want to expect, you know, mm -hmm. but you'd also see privileged white kids running into Patagonia store in Santa Monica and coming out with surfboards. And they're riding off as if they are not culpable or accountable for those actions. So, mm -hmm. so these are things the news would not normally cover that is in fact being covered and put up on, on YouTube and, and, and really being um, sort of exposing both sides of the coin and both sides of the equation and it's, and it's overdue. It is really, it's really interesting. The, the, the thing that I've got, I've got to be honest, probably the second most shocking thing for me in the last 14 days after the murder of George Floyd was that Amy Park, that Amy Parker Park incident. You know, which is oh, yeah. literally just shouting, African-American, African-American, she's walking, she's walking, it's just bird watching. Like she's completely caught live shouting to Dan nine one one. There's African American. Like now, I don't, I don't think you can make up what that. Like I, just, I was shocked. So Raphael, for you, is like a, a man of color. Was, it, was that, was that like too familiar? Is that those that story too familiar? Is it unusual? What's your experience of that? I was making an arrest once, nineteen eighty nine, in. Crystal City, which is a complex that was designed for the military that drew, that became a commercial area, but it was just packed with military personnel because it was so close to the Pentagon. And I was arresting a woman and she had ran, so I caught her and I was handcuffing her and people were coming up to me saying, he's trying to rape her. It's lunchtime, it's in the middle of the day. <laughs> And it's in the food court. And I looked for my partner and I was furious. I said, what are you doing? Help me. He was standing up with his badge and creds above his head 
because people, including military personnel, were going to attack me. Even though I had handcuffs out and it, it never dawned on anyone that I would be doing anything but sexually assaulting this woman in the middle of a mall at lunchtime. So that's not uncommon to me. Um, uh, what's worse, I've interviewed people and when my supervisors found out that I interviewed them, they would literally call that person and say, did he attempt to touch you? And the person would go, no, why? And I had to sit there and listen to those types of conversations. It, and it's, I, I, dehumanizing really doesn't describe the feeling. It, it really doesn't. I really appreciate you sharing, Raphael. It's, and it's, like I say, this is the, these are the first experiments we're running with these conversations. I think it's so important for, for me, for us, anybody listening, to realize quite what's going on. Like you said, that's 1989. And then we looked to literally within a fortnight ago, what happened? So like, what, let's try and move into a little bit of conversation around what do we think we can be doing as a collective singular human race to try and move the dial? So I think this is the thing also, again, knowing Donna as I have the last 12 months, you know, consciousness for me is only quite a re recent thing, believe it or not, because I've been sleepwalking like so many of us, yeah? Society, education, parental system is like, get your grades, get to, get to school, make your money, get your house. Like, that's what we're taught success looks like. Success, you know, success isn't, are you a good human being? How do you help your neighbor? How do we connect on a human level? And I'm just wondering, is that, is that, is that sort of human shift part of this? Like, do we think the consciousness is high enough for us to step into that? I was trying to let Donna go, but she's <laughs> making me go. I am. Uh, <laughs> Gary, first let me just say this. Why would you be thinking about what's going on with African-American males? You should not be so hard on yourself because you're trying to survive in the world you're in. And if, if, if African-American males having these issues are, are not in your forefront because they're not happening in front of you, that's a totally different thing. And you shouldn't blame yourself that you're not aware. Um, but having said that, most people that I've encountered are aware and they want to keep their privilege. Now, the ones that do want to see that change have a moral compass. They just don't know how to do it without incurring the wrath of others. Donna, how do you want to build on that? I don't know that I can, but but I can offer the, um, the you know the conversation around the bird watching the other day uh, that that incident with it wasn't Amy Cooper and Christian Cooper I get conf confused because they both oh, ended right. with Cooper but it, yeah. you know there 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 it was and watching that individual's actions she knew exactly how to manipulate the moment and it was instant it was not one of those things where she felt threatened at all she knew how to put someone at risk by making one phone call. That's the kind of action that awareness isn't gonna do enough for. You're gonna to have to go further than that. You're gonna to have to do a deeper explanation, exploration 
an explanation to yourself if you looked at the mirror and said, why exactly did I do that? Because really what these things to me indicate are fractures within our own, unif our own unifying state. You know, where, what am I really and truly afraid of? When I see someone doing something, what am I looking at? What part of me am I looking at that I'm not willing to acknowledge and not willing to, to but it's easy to project and drop on somebody else and let them carry my load uh, for me. I think, I think the, the level of, um, so awareness is just kind of like the starting point, but you know, the bigger step is, is who am I really when I'm picking up the phone and calling on somebody for asking me to put my dog on leash? I mean, that's just ridiculous. So, you know, that, that's what I think is, this calls for is a, a much deeper commitment to being more honest about who you are and who you want to be through these kinds of incidents. Raphael, you had something there. <laughs> I keep forgetting you're watching me. <laughs> um, her position was a position of power. She expected him to take on the fear that most of us do take on. And I must admit, even wearing a badge and a gun back in the day, it would have made me pause a half a second. Um, she came from a position of power and she was shocked. By the way, that's probably not the first time she's done that but she was shocked that her power play did not work on him. Um, and that's a part of a code um, or lack of a code. Uh, when you seek to dominate, and now I'm drifting, when I was in the streets, the people that wanted to dominate other people were insecure. And because of their insecurities, they needed to take someone's power to be significant. Simply being themselves was not enough. And then when we had our encounters, they realized they weren't the biggest, they weren't the baddest dog on the block. Then they realized that I wasn't there to take their power, but now I was there to take that body. <laughs> I was going to control that body. But I also set more people free than I ever incarcerated. Um, uh, and I gave them a sense of self. What they did with it is completely up to them. But I let them know that they were special, that they were unique, and they had a place in the universe. Once again, what they decided to do with it was up to them. I did have people in the course of my career who did make significant changes in their lives. So uh, Amy's got some issues. And we should always recognize, um, and I don't want to equate her to a child, but when a child acts out, there's something going on. There's something going on. Power does not satiate insecurity. It just doesn't. I love what you've both, both spoken to for me, which is this, and it comes up so often in my other conversations around vulnerability, is we're still tying our self-worth, like everything to outside of us. You know, we're not used to sitting in, like me. You know, I was bullied as a kid, age 12, 13. I only started talking about it five years ago, age 39, because I didn't, I didn't have the emotional maturity to know how to process emotion or how to use that for good. And I look around at that example you just shared, you know, Amy, and if we don't, if we don't know how to feel properly, emotion, process, sit in, let it go, and I think that, that's what I see all around. I see it in organizations, I see it in education, 
it is that lack of sense of self. It is, I love what you just said, Raphael, it's that I'm not good enough in myself, therefore I need something of someone else to complete me. What do you think, Donna, how's that coming up for you? Well, I mean, how it, in terms of human potential and, and you know, becoming into a more of a unified state within yourself, a whole person, if you, if you can put it that way, we talk about taking your whole self to work and bringing your whole self to life. But in, 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 to pick up on what, what you've both been saying, you know, when women are not standing in their own power, they manipulate the environment and the situation. When men are not standing in their own power, violence and aggression is the tool and the vehicle. That's, that goes back to, to work that uh, Dane and Perry did called Warriors of the Heart, probably some of the most inspiring work I've seen in a long time. And he, he put it out there like that. And I thought, oh man, that nails it because I'd seen that repeatedly in organizational settings where people have a position of authority. doesn't matter whether they're male or female, they go into a position of authority and whoop, out goes the empathy. And now we know from neuroscience, that's exactly what happens. And in comes all of those weakness, you know, those insecurities, those chinks, in their identity, you know, in their sense of self, in, in their sense of security, that are are created purely by context, purely by the position that they're in, as opposed to, as you were saying, Gary, as opposed to coming from a place of uh, of of strength from within. So if if I look at it from a where are we at in terms of this you know, shift and what are we seeing going on in the wider, we have the potential <laughs> to take the invitation and, and use these moments to really become more complete within ourselves so that the outer environment can be going crazy, which it's doing at the moment. And there's no, you, you, you know how to contribute to it while keeping, you know, calm and peace. So I think, I think the, you know, this from a, you know, the conversation that we're having here today, um, this is a, I think can be a real evolutionary leap and I hope we take it. Any further thoughts, Raphael? No, cause I could do this a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you, no, you can't get away with that. Come on. You got, <laughs> you can. I, I, I was thinking of the, um, uh, think something that happened to me in my life. Um, and when I noticed that the more formidable I was, as a law enforcement officer. The more the bad guys or the potential bad guys feared me, the more the public wanted me around. And, but that did nothing for the person who was looking or on their trajectory to becoming a bad person. It was empathy that carried that person around. Um, it was me understanding their plight and their lot in life that, that turned them around. So we can't leave out empathy. And kind of what Donna said, Amy didn't arrive where she was by herself. Um, and, and I don't want to be the, the, the sympathetic uh, voice here because I'm not that sympathetic, but I do know she did not occur in a vacuum. Um, and, and, and that's where I think code comes in. A, a code forces you to deal with who you are and who people think you are, not based on the way you look, but based on the way you act. That's, would you mind just expanding a bit on terms of that code? So what does that mean to you as Raphael in terms of, because for, for other people that may not be such a common parlance or, or language. 
Well, uh, between uh, the way I was raised and uh, the military and, and law enforcement, um, I had to make some decisions. Was I going to be like everyone else or was I going to be me? And uh, my grandfather had this famous saying, it's, it's, I don't know if it's famous, but everyone says it, birds of a feather flock together. I mean, it makes me nauseous to hear it today. It, that's how often he said it. Well, I couldn't find any birds <laughs> that I could flock with. So I decided to just be me and I develop a code and a part of that code was Chief Tecumseh's uh, beautiful poem. Um, and the others were, were, were things I had gathered along the way. And it made me act a certain way. Uh, everyone talks about the, con the, the Constitution uh, in America. That's all the Constitution. They talk about the Bible. They, they talk about the, the, the Bill of Rights and codes of ethics. And in military, it's standard operating procedures. Well, sometimes that's not enough. It doesn't cover everything. You have to decide at some point when you're given the power to carry a badge and a gun and take people's freedom, you have to decide, who am I? Am I someone um, who sees the weak and try to make them strong? Am, am I someone who tries to encourage the strong to do the right thing? And I mentioned alpha males earlier. An alpha male knocks on a door, a police officer knocks on the door when there's a music complaint. A child opens the door. This is a true story. Child opens the door. And he said, uh, hey, can you turn the music down? Kid turns the music down. He said, uh, where are your parents? He says, well, they're not home. They're at work. He says, you're in this apartment by yourself. He said, yes, I am. And he looks around and says, what are you doing? He said, my homework. He says, may I come in? The kid says, yeah. He comes in. The kid's doing his homework on the floor. He says, why are you doing your homework on the floor? The kid looks at him and he says, I don't have a table. Cop says, okay. So he leaves. He said, don't turn the music up so loud anymore. He comes back 30, 40 minutes later. He's got a table. He's got a table and some chairs for the kid. An alpha male finds a way to use his power, not to benefit himself, because he's powerful. He doesn't need a benefit. He is powerful. It's the person who doesn't have who needs the benefit of your power. Um, so that code, I don't think is being taught in most places anymore. We're still doing the Pledge of Allegiance and Lord knows we're still doing the National Anthem, but we're not teaching code. Who are you? When things get tough, as my master chief used to say, all I got to do is hit you in the mouth and I will know who you are. If I create enough stress in your life, you will show me who you are. The problem is we're not preparing male and female officers to live by code, to be, a code says, you don't need a law to tell you that the guy next to you is hurting someone, you should stop him and you should report him, really? You need someone, an alpha male doesn't need anyone to tell him that. As a matter of fact, you're not gonna commit an atrocity with an alpha male standing next to you. Um, and I use the term, the silverback is not going to allow that in his community, period. But like I said, I could do this forever. <laughs> it, it, it's so beautiful though, because what's coming up for me is, it's really intriguing that we've got this situation where people could almost rely on or give away their power to the law. 
or the doctrine or the border or the thing that separates us. Whereas if you go out, I, I listened to um, Deepak Chopra, a podcast a while back with the first Iranian um, astronaut on the space station. Mm-hmm. And she said, she look, when you look back at Earth, there are zero borders. Yeah, there are no borders. They're all made, they're all made up in our mind. And it's just, I think that awareness, and it just speaks, I think, beautifully as we were talking about with the whole code. Like, do we need to have these borders all around us to say what's right and wrong? Or do we actually trust our intu- intuition a bit more? Well, and one last thing, because I need to shut this down because I'm going to keep doing it. Um, uh, some of the National Guard that were deployed at the White House have spoken up. And a couple of them have said, I feel like I violated people's civil rights. And they're hurt. They're, these alpha males and females, because there was a female as well, that made these statements are hurt. They're like, I feel like I violated someone's civil, civil rights. I feel like I hurt the American. Now remember, your military takes an oath to protect you, period. They're willing to die for you. They will die for you having never met you. And they're standing there and they're reporting now to the media, I feel like I violated someone's civil rights. I'm disgusted with myself for being used this way. That's code. That's code. They live by that code and they're not leaving each other. It's, we don't have enough code in our society. And I know that sounds kind of superfluous. It's way out there, but there needs to be code. There needs to be code. And Donna, maybe that is part of this consciousness shift. It is code. Like, I, love this, I love this vision of the code. That, no, that, that language is really actually quite powerful for me personally. Like, it's almost like we've got a mass like a mass upgrade of code, potentially. Maybe that's what's going on right now. But co- is there a direct correlation, do you think, with this sort of awareness of code and how much that matters, Donna? In my view, yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely, because the code that, that Raphael speaks to is anchored in, in a, a, a pattern of, of behavior, like respect, for example, you know, and, and being, being true. To, to your values and to your beliefs and being absolutely true. So there's, it's almost like the code then becomes the, the transit to a higher state of consciousness. It's, I mean, I was, the conversation I had last night was about, you know, empathy. And he said, well, you only have empathy when you've got two, two different parts that aren't together yet. And I thought, wow, that's really true. You know, we use empathy to close the gap between two places that are not yet unified. And here we are in a place where we have a lot of unification to do if we actually plan to survive as a species, if we actually want civilization to survive, and if we actually have any respect at all for the planet that we live on and rely on for food, air, water, and all of life. So that gap closing is critical. And, I, and it's, my, it's my belief that code is a, a major part of it. It's, it's being very clear about what do I stand for? Who am I when the going is tough? Am I the person that's going to run down and, you know, loot a store because I've had the opportunity? Or am I someone that's going to take an, a different stance altogether and work toward creating something better out of this situation we're in? So yeah, I, I completely believe that, uh, that this is uh, pivotal. It's really intriguing for me as well, because again, if you look at language, which is obviously very important as well, is you could look at code as grounded in values. Yeah. You know, it's actually, so, so what I hold most, you know, what, what are the things that when my values get crossed, yeah, I feel a reaction in me. I feel upset, I feel frustrated, I feel angry. It, feel, it feels like values is a key part of that code, Raphael. 
the worst thing you could say to a person in the military, if you're in the military with them is, where is your honor? That just rips through your heart. Uh, and you're basically saying, what happened to your code? Where's your honor? This is how you act in a time of spiritual. And it means that I didn't even, I either I didn't train you well, I didn't evaluate you well, I did not prepare you for this moment, and I did not see you were not ready for this moment. Um, and, and that term would be honor, kind of like you said, values. Um, the worst, and that's another thing, when, not we, but when they, <laughs> I'm no longer there, but when you see their, their medals and their ribbons, it's who they are. It's what they've been through. It's what they've accomplished. It's, it's like the white line on the back of the silverback. There it is. Okay, who's the silverback? Okay, right there. <laughs> That's the silverback. And nobody wants to lose their honor in the military. But remember, you're talking about an organization. You don't even have to commit a crime to be put out of the military. You just have to do something that's dishonorable. That's all you have to do, something that's dishonorable. Um, and, and a classic, and it, it, it relates to civilians, as well, uh, not civilians, uh, enlisted as well, but they'll say to an officer, you're no officer and you're no general. That is the ultimate, oh my God, what happened? <laughs> it, it, that's the code. And, and that's a part of the value system. And somehow that's lost. Somehow that's lost. I've moved away from values. Well, not entirely because there are negative values. Greed, you know, there are negative ones. And, and in many people's minds, values end up being a mashup between the positive ones and the negative ones. If you filter it out on a consciousness level, the negative values all sit at the lower levels of, or lower, you know, if you look at it as a vertical thing, but evolutionary wise, it's back at the, uh, who am I, you know, it's back at the early definition stages. So, you know, and this is where a lot of, a lot of places, the negative values are not even clear. So I've been moving toward talking about these things more as principles because they anchor decision-making. You can also use values for that as well, obviously. Uh, ones that are positive, shared and run throughout, you know, yourself, or if you scale that to an organization or society that run through that. So I, I think the I totally get values and I appreciate it. And with the caveat that we're clear about what a positive value is <laughs> and where it's serving and how it's serving in, in our interactions and in our decisions uh, versus something that um, is, has a more unifying quality to it. I think what's coming up for me as we start to wrap up this conversation is like, just that clarity as to like what we're experiencing in the last couple of weeks. Really is that inner work. It just feels like the... Yeah the code, the inner work, the awareness, like it's just that whole inner shift. You know, we're going from this just marketing, you know, plowing stuff that we should buy, going on holiday, doing the same old, same old, and it's suddenly just like, oh my God, like I've actually really got to look in the mirror now. Like I can't not look in the mirror because I'm not going anywhere. So like what's in the mirror? Do I like it? Do I not like it? How do I want to change what I see? Like I just wonder as we sort of wrap up this conversation, what would your invitation be? Maybe a final sort of passing comment or invitation to someone that may join in and listen to us uh, from this conversation? What would you like to be thinking about um, as they go about their day? 
<laughs> you know, when you were saying that, Gary, I was thinking about uh, what Raphael is doing with a youth at risk who's been through an awful lot of hard stuff in his lifetime and what, what, what Raphael has done with him. Do you want to tell him? Boy, that was an interesting situation. Yeah, you see, that was a setup. I, I set it up and then I lobbed the ball over to you and said, Go. Yeah, it hit my racket. I didn't even have to swing. Um, <laughs> what happens is you kind of hit on this. We've been programmed so much by so many um, that we take no responsibility for our self-programming. And the first thing I had to do with this young man is program him or start to help him program himself to see himself as valuable. Um, uh, I have, I'm not the best affirmation guy, but I have him doing an affirmation where he says every morning when he looks at himself, he says, I love you and I can't wait to see you again. Uh, that's not easy uh, for a lot of young people that have been through so much. Um, and before he goes to bed, I have him saying, um, I think I did all I could do today. Tomorrow, I will try to do more. Because until that moment, based on our interactions, he wasn't expecting tomorrow. I, <laughs> and so there has to be a level of programming that helps people see their self-worth. And then you have to, well, at least first you have to recognize that there's some people that don't see themselves as valuable. Um, clearly, I'm not one of them. But, but there's so many that just haven't had the benefit of what most of us think is standard or is basic. It's not happening. It's not happening. Um, uh, so much of what we've done with our children and, and people around us to encourage them, they're not getting They're not getting it in their schools. They're not getting it in from any institution. Uh, no one takes the time to say, who are you? Um, or as Donna and I tend to talk about the whole avatar or slash Native American thing, I see you. Uh, we don't see each other in Western culture very much anymore. When we say, how are you doing? We're not expecting a dissertation about what's going on in your life. <laughs> we want a quick response and we're gonna keep it moving. And there are people that just need to know that they have a place. And we've got to figure out how to make sure more people who think they don't have a place know that they in fact do. And we're missing a lot of value. Um, and I don't mean to bring this to a monetary thing, but we're losing a lot of money by not having contributions of people who clearly could contribute to our society. Well, what a, there's a lovely back, back over the net to you, Donna, I think. I'm not adding to that. That's why I handed it off to him. <laughs> so now my no. lob just goes out of bounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Yeah, just whoop, deflect. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and what about you, Gary? <laughs> just, just stunning. Again, I just think you've summarized just so brilliant. What I've loved about this conversation is that we've come in it deliberately at the thorny topic. We wanted to talk about the last couple of weeks. What, and I think what it comes back to, though, for me, it is genuinely that seeing point. Like, do we do we see each other? Mm. Like, and I think one of the things that, um, you know, even family, you know, work colleagues, 
like we're feeling our way through like one of the classic phrases has been like i don't see color like i'm sure i'm sure if you wrap up like nothing more offensive than like someone thinking that you're white eh? do you know what i mean <laughs> You know, and it's just one of those funny things. And everybody's learning again without being too harsh on people. People are realizing that actually, oh, that's not actually a good, that's not actually a good thing. Like it's actually good to see the other person for what they are and who they are and the values that they are. And I think so. I'm excited. I'm actually quite excited about what's going on right now because that consciousness shift feels real. I'm seeing it in workplaces. You know, I work in the chemical mm. industry. Like, yeah, sorry about that, but I do. Um, and and um, well, we do need chemicals. Now. Yeah, we, we do need chemicals. Um, but what's really cool, like for me, that's a barometer of where we're at. Is when you see a CEO of a very, I would say, traditional sector. You know, they don't change quickly. It's very staid. It's very white and senior leadership. You know, not a lot of diversity. But when a CEO comes out and states on LinkedIn in a detailed article, like we're going to take this seriously, we need to be involving everyone in this conversation. Like that wouldn't have happened a fortnight ago. So I've got hope. I've got very real hope that I see it in different stratas. Yeah, it's not just one person here or a conversation there. Like you said, Raphael, about, you know, it's all kind of races coming out for the marches. Like I really feel that this is, it's permeating. Yeah, it's not, it's, I don't feel it's a flash in the pan. So that's what I'm excited about, Donna. Excellent. So how can people find either of you? Like if people want to follow up the conversation, if they want to actually get in touch, learn, learn more about you, you know, how can we find you, Raphael? What's the best contact details? Probably my, my email is probably best. Um, it's Raphael, R-A-P-H-A-E-L dot D-A-V-I-D zero nine at gmail. Dot com. That's probably the best way to get in touch with me. Perfect. And over to you, Donna. Either LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, and of course the website is from insighttoaction.com. It's under, I'm changing it, but I'm always changing it. So nothing new there. But yeah, that, that's, the, that's the easiest uh, way to do it. So, and of course the podcast, I would like to mention that. So yeah, the Inspirational Insights podcast, which is on Spotify. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure those details are in the show notes of this conversation when it goes out. And Raphael, Donna, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. It's been a great conversation. Take care. Likewise. Thank, thank you. you for hosting us, right. Gary. Thank you very right. much. Take care. Hi there. And thank you so much for joining us as part of this incredible and wide-ranging conversation with Raphael David and Donna Jones. Uh, Gary Turner, your host here, just wanting to share a, a, a number, actually, not just a few. I just want to share a number of the um, takeaways that I took in case they're helpful for you as you reflect on this uh, deep discussion. First of all, Raphael shared that. I would like for people to take a moment and think, am I actively doing racist things or am I inactively contributing to racist things? If we can have that conversation we are certainly going to make some inroads. So just really speaking there to really the consciousness, the awakening, the realisation for so many of us that these challenges are real, they go deep, um, but through discussion, through empathy, through understanding, I believe we can take them down quite quickly. Um, but we need everyone to be involved and we need to be having these conversations. Raphael also shared that what's worse is that I've interviewed people and when my supervisors found out that I interviewed them, 
they would literally call that person and say, did he attempt to touch you? And the person would go, no, why? And I had to sit there and listen to those types of conversation. Dehumanization really does not describe the feeling. It really doesn't. I've got, I can't even empathize. I can imagine or try and imagine how that must feel, but I can't even empathize because I just, I've never had anything like that as an experience to have to go through in my 43 years on this planet. So I just want us to hold space and just think about that for a moment. You know, what that feel like for you, or if that was your child, having to go through that experience. Um, so I think it's just, it's more than anything here. It's, I just want to thank Raphael for being so vulnerable, being so open, uh, but at the same time, let's all stay alert, every single one of us, as to whether this is to do with law enforcement or it's to do with the workplace. You know, when we see people being othered, when we see people being excluded, microaggression, passive-aggressive behaviour, bullying, you know, we all need to be looking out for each other going forward. That's how we're going to heal. I truly believe that. Um, I enjoyed Donna sharing that inherent in coping with complexity is the requirement for diversity. Diversity of perspectives, diversity of worldview at a global level, and putting all the pixels of the picture into the environment. I think what comes up for me really strongly here, and I've had a lot of conversations with people the last, uh, last 12 weeks, is around this, what some people are calling a pandemic pause. You know, we are seeing and sensing so much more than we have in the past because we've been running at 100 miles an hour. And even if we know there's things we should have been stopping to observe, to take in, to acknowledge, including myself here, like the, like the race situation, we've been so busy being busy that it's allowed us to yeah, turn a blind eye, let's be honest, to, to, to things like this. However, with the pandemic pause, we're seeing and sensing in, in situ in place more and more of these situations. And I think that's only a good thing if we're going to, again, look to heal collectively. I'd love to know if you'd challenge that. If you'd add to that, do let me know. Uh, last couple of points are that Donna shared that we have the potential to take the invitation and use these moments to really become more complete within ourselves so that the outer environment can be going crazy and you know how to contribute to it whilst keeping calm and peaceful. I'm going to throw it out there. This is a spiritual statement for me. When I burnt myself out uh, a number of years ago, this I burnt myself out and I used the words myself because I overthought my way into that. Yes, I was being had passive-aggressive behaviour. Yes, I was being bullied in the workplace back then. But none of those situations outside of me caused me to burn out. It's the story I told myself on the inside. You're not good enough. You're in the wrong place. You're trapped. So I, if I could invite you to go back and replay that part of this conversation many times, please do it because it's one of the most critical realisations I've had um, in my life to date. I think if we think about how that impacts the discussion around racism and other ways of people being included, sorry, ex excluded or included, if we can try and come at this from a lens of empathy, understanding of the past, but co-creating the future from now and not being stuck with empathy um, to the past, and we have to acknowledge we need to understand and appreciate that's the work we're all doing, particularly those of my skin here right now, but we have to move forward with, with action and collectivity and connection. And I'm really, really looking forward and I'm hoping that these conversations are part of that reconnection, um, again, as the singular human race that we all are. And finally, Raphael shared that we're missing a lot of value. We're losing a lot of money by not having contributions from people who could really be contributing to our society. And I think he speaks really powerfully here to 
you know, I shared a LinkedIn uh, post um, only recently, and I'll put that in the show notes as well, around the fact that looking at the first thousand um, connections that I had out of my 4,000 connections on LinkedIn, I had only eight that were black men. Now, in and of itself, that wasn't an intentional act to only have eight. I've been really unconscious as to my social feeds, as to who I'm learning from, who I follow, what inside am I gaining. So it's just a really powerful reminder that we need everybody's experience in the room, people from different backgrounds, different challenges, different insights. And I just think the more we can be intentional about making sure our networks, both socially and in real life, have that optimum diversity, we can navigate complexity as Donna shared. So just a brilliant, brilliant conversation. I learned so much. I hope you took value away from the discussion. I would love your feedback. Um, and Mike Vacanti, founder of Humans First, is also running a number of these conversations. And if you're interested to be part of any of these discussions going forward, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me at Gary IP Catalyst, G-A-R-R-Y-I-P Catalyst, one word, on Twitter, at my website, Gary Turner, one word, G-A-R-R-Y Turner, one word, dot life. And also Gary, G-A-R-R-Y, at Gary Turner, one word, dot life. Love to hear from you. Love to know what resonated, what you challenged, what you want to build on these conversations. And uh, if you're interested to take part, do let me know. Till next time, have a great day. Really hoping that you enjoyed that exploration on the Value Through Vulnerability podcast. You can find out much more about HexoChange at hexochangenow.com. That's H-E-X-O-Change-Now, one word, dot com. You can subscribe to a weekly newsletter at that website, which includes information about live stream conversations, further service offerings, blogs, but also our in-person events, of which we have multiple each year. So I really hope that you'll join us. Do connect with me, Gary Turner, on LinkedIn, and I really hope to hear from you soon.